If you're new to the church, we began a, a journey last week called Guardians of the Gospel. And the reason is we're passionate about the power of God transforming lives. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We want to see lives change. That's the greatest miracle is when a life is changed to the glory of God. Now, what happened in, as we start reading the book of Revelation, don't get scared. This is not the heads and horns end time stuff. We've looked at that before. These are seven letters that Jesus wrote to churches to help them stay on course. You know, sometimes even when you're driving on the freeway, you never let go the steering wheel just because the road is straight. You keep your hand on the wheel because you're always making little adjustments to make sure that you stay in the middle of your lane. In exactly the same way, Jesus is talking to the churches, Ephesus, you need to make an adjustment. You're doing a lot of stuff, but you've lost your first love. In other words, do this because you love me, not because you have to. We looked at that last week. And in each one of these seven churches, Jesus is trying to make an adjustment so that we would guard the gospel because the gospel is the power of God. We don't want the cross to be emptied of its power. We want to walk in the full power of God's transforming miracle of, of the cross. And so today we're going to be looking at the second letter, which is a letter to the church in Smyrna. And the big idea... And it is a big idea. If we want to see the power of the gospel truly working in our lives, then part of our thinking has to change. Some people have come up with it. It's been preached before. Preachers are guilty. It's crept into the church. Somehow people sometimes think, coming to Jesus, the gospel, should rescue me from suffering. It doesn't. It redeems suffering. Now, this is huge because many people are thinking, surely, Lord, if I give my life to you, that's it. We should be able to sail into the sunset and they all live happily ever after. And no, no, not true at all. We're serving. We want to become like the one Jesus who went to the cross. He suffered. He died. And then he rose again. He even prayed, Lord, if possible, take this cup from me, but not my will. Your will be done. And the father said, no, I need you to walk through the suffering because you've got to go through the cross to come to the resurrection on the other side. That's the gospel. In a nutshell, that's the gospel. We trust Jesus enough that if we repent and let our desires, our will, our sin, what we want, if we let that die, what we discover on the other side is resurrection, life, and power. And yet sometimes we, we have this perception that surely, God, you should take away all my suffering. No, no. He wants to redeem it. Now, this is what this letter is all about. It's a short letter, and actually the church was doing nothing wrong. But Jesus wanted to remind them in the midst of what they are facing, this is what God is doing. So, Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so let me go. To the angel or to the leader, it's a letter addressed to the church. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. 
Yikes. So, what's the big idea I want us to get hold of today? Adam, I forgot to tell you I was going to use you this morning, but why don't you come and stand? This is Adam, my youngest son. He's the baby of the family. (laughs) Now, Adam, I know you haven't done geography. I love geography. He doesn't. But here's the deal. I want you to just start naming some countries in the world. Any countries. Call them out. Come on, name some more. Here's the point. Okay, you can sit down now. Here's my point. Here's my point. I asked him to name some countries of the world, Spain, Portugal, and as I began to squeeze him and pinch him, guess what happened? His world shrunk. That's what happens. Pain and suffering makes your world shrink. Trying to think of countries out there, something big, Brazil, Colombia, Suffering makes your world shrink. So guess what the enemy wants to do? The enemy tries to shrink our lives because of suffering. What Jesus is doing in this letter, he's saying to the church, church, I want you to learn to let suffering stretch you and not shrink you. That's the big idea. If you can grab a hold of this idea today, it will radically transform the way you face life. Because here's the thing, all of us are going to go through suffering. It's normal, and God wants to redeem that suffering, but I want you to be aware of what the enemy's going to do. He's going to try and use suffering in your life to shrink you. Jesus is saying, I want to let it stretch you and make you bigger. Does that make sense? So with that in mind, I want to take you through just four things today, four suffering stretching exercises. There it is. I'm one of those people, as you know, I'm not good at running, and I'm, I'm getting close to the 50 mark, and what I've realized now, if I don't stretch today before I run, I'm going to suffer tomorrow. It's just one of those things. So before you actually run, I've got to do, and you've got to stretch it until it burns a little bit just to get those muscles awake and ready, because otherwise you pay for it later. In the same way, God wants us to see the suffering, and to allow him to redeem the suffering so that we grow through it and are not shrunk by it. So first thing is, number one, to let suffering stretch your revelation of God. Now here's the danger. The enemy is always going to try and do the opposite. You had a bad time. You're retrenched from your job. The economy takes a knock. This happens in the family. Your prayer doesn't get answered. And you know what happens? The enemy is going to try and shrink you. Is God actually good? I mean, is he? Because it really doesn't look like he's being good in my life right now. In fact, does God actually love me? Is God really in control? And all of these thoughts, and you know it because you've had these thoughts before, what the enemy tries to do straight away in suffering is shrink your revelation of God. He's trying to make it smaller, and what Jesus is doing is he wants to stretch your revelation. So he introduces himself in the letter, and he says, These are the words of him who is the first and the last. Talk about a stretch. So if you can imagine all of eternity from the beginning to the end, stretching from side to side, I am the first and I am the last. In Isaiah 42 verse 4, it says, who has, done, who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning. Ah, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last, I am He. From the very first generation, God was there. To the end, God is there. He is bigger than our suffering. Got to grab that. 
Your revelation of God, is it bigger than your suffering? Because if your suffering is bigger than your revelation, the enemy will shrink you. But when your revelation of God is bigger than your suffering, it'll stretch you. In Isaiah 44 verse 6, this is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first. I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. God is big. God is eternal and he's greater than our suffering. Isaiah 48 verse 12, listen to me, Jacob, Israel, whom I have called, I am he. I'm the first. I'm the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they all stand up together. This is our God. He's eternal. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's all powerful. Is he bigger than your suffering? Revelation 22, verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. First part of stretching our revelation, is your revelation bigger than your suffering? And that's why God wants us to stretch and be enlarged. So Jesus says, he introduces himself, he says, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Talk about going through suffering. Jesus knows our suffering. The God we serve sent his son who went through worse suffering than we ever went through before. But guess what? It was not the full stop. Suffering's not the end. Suffering is a journey to something greater in God. Now, this is huge. Once again, suffering's not the end. It's a journey to resurrection, life, and power. In uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. In other words, when he went through the suffering, he came out with the keys, with the authority of what he'd just been through. Once you've gone through suffering, guess what? You come out on the other side with authority. You can help people. You can encourage people. You have a testimony that can unlock things for people because you've been through it, and you came out victorious on the other side. John 11 verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Church, we need to be rooted in this. Our revelation of Jesus is greater than our suffering. In Hebrews 12 verse 2, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Isn't that beautiful? That's how Jesus got through suffering. He could see through it. He could see this is not the end. This is part of the journey to a greater victory at the end. My pastoral confession for the day, pastoral confession number 6,412, you know, I've wrestled before, and oh, this is an ugly sin. Please don't tell anyone. I've wrestled before with self-pity. Have you ever thought, oh, Lord, it's not fair? It's, it's not fair. Like, why, Lord? Like, it's like the world's against me, like blah, 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 fish paste. Until I realized what a blasphemy to God it is to wallow in self-pity. I mean, think about it. It really is. Because when I'm, when I'm experiencing self-pity, I'm really denying the sovereignty of God in my life. I'm denying the hand of God at work in my life. And just even as I was working through this, oh, I was praying, Lord, deliver me forever from this victim mentality, from this self-pity. You, Lord, are bigger than my suffering. I will trust you as I walk through it in Jesus' name. Amen? So please don't, please don't hear me try and diminish suffering. 
I mean, even today I was hearing some things. Some of the things that some of you have been through are horrendous. I'm not trying in any way to reduce the suffering, but I'm trying to say God redeems it and uses it to His glory. So number one, let suffering stretch your revelation of God as you seek Him and cling to Him. Number two, let suffering stretch your thinking about kingdom riches. Now, remember we did that journey, the previous journey about uh, reframing, where sometimes we see something in one way, but God sees it completely different. He has this beautiful example in Revelation 2 verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. Sure. In other words, sometimes I'm sure we cry out to God. It's like, God, I'm suffering. I'm poor. And God's looking. Yeah, I know. You're very rich. Do you kind of get my point? God sees things differently to us. We've got to allow, in suffering, instead of allowing the enemy to shrink us into thinking that suffering is limiting us, we've got to realize that suffering is enlarging us. I know about the slander of those who say they Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You'll suffer persecution for 10 days. What were they facing? Afflictions, poverty, slander, suffering, prison, persecution. How would you describe them? Blessed or persecuted? Jesus said, but you are rich. You are rich. See, here, right now, we've got to, the enemy is going to, try and shrink. We're going to look at our bank balance, and we're going to look at circumstances, and we're going to define ourselves sometimes, yikes, I am poor. If we don't have a kingdom understanding, we allow the enemy to rob us. And I want you to, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. I want you to compare what we've just read about Smyrna to this church. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Isn't that like weird? I mean, it's like out of their severe suffering, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. It just, whoa, 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 that doesn't, you know when the buffer's going like, don't let the enemy shrink your kingdom understanding of riches. You're not as rich as the money you have in the bank. You're not as rich compared to the ease and convenience of your lifestyle. You're as rich as your revelation of Jesus. You're as rich as the faith you have in your heavenly Father. We, uh, I've, been, I've been to Hole in the Wall. It's a beautiful place down the Eastern Cape, the Transcar, the Wild Coast area. And, and I've been there every year for the last 10 years or so, one of my favorite places. And, and there's a cottage we stay at, but, I mean, there's no municipal water there. And so they get water off the, off the roofs, and all of the cottages have got their Jojo tanks. Now, you can imagine, we've been on trips with up to 70 pastors staying in some of those cottages. So you can guess what the most precious commodity is. It's like, guys, you can shower once a day for three and a half minutes. That's it. You can flush the loo once <laughs> a day. <laughs> so in other words, you're always looking and you like knock on the Jojo tanks. Everything is based on how much water do we have. Until eventually we decided, guys, we all come from churches and we love Jesus and we use this cottage. Why don't we just put in a borehole? So we raised some money for Dawn and Manny. Some of you will remember them. We own the cottage. And we sunk a borehole and they hit water and surprise, guess what? Ah, 
No more poverty mentality. Because now you're not looking at that little level. Actually, now the other cottages are coming to ask for water. I want to ask you, what source are you looking at? Are you looking at your Jojo tank on your app every day? Every decision you make, everything you do, you're looking at your banking app. Now, I'm not saying don't be financially wise. I'm just asking you, what's your source? Or have you, through suffering, dug down deep until you hit that reservoir of the well of life? In James chapter 2 and verse 5, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him? It's actually a whole lot easier for poor people to develop a great faith. Because now I'm not celebrating poor at all. I'm celebrating learning to trust and rely on God. So if you're rich, it's, rich is never bad, but rich is dangerous. So, so if you're wealthy, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. But the challenge for you is to not allow your heart to look at that as the source of your strength, salvation, and security. That's why generosity is a good thing. Because begin to not be the, the, a reservoir that just holds, but a river that blesses. So you continually trust in God as opposed to putting your trust in what is stored up. Let me move along very quickly. Number three. To then let suffering, not just stretch your thinking about kingdom riches, but about kingdom rewards. As he said in the letter, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. My wife runs uh, all of these different races, and, uh, and so it's, it's quite a strange thing. Kate's got this incredible medal display for all of her races, but she chooses to put it in the bathroom because actually she doesn't want them on display. She kind of wants them on the display because it's like the yearly challenge, but it's not about, hey, look at all of these events that I've run. And the other thing she does is they, so every year she'll just like bomb all of the old ones. I don't even know if they land in the dustbin or the back of the cupboard, but they vanish. They've got a lifespan of only one year and then start of each year, new medals. And so at the moment you cross the line, you get the medal, and it's like, yay, and it goes up on the little rack, and it lasts a maximum of one year, and then it's just probably SPCA or something after that. What's the point? Your thinking, you see, this is what the enemy tries to do in our thinking. It's, it's all about your reward now, now. And we forget this is just like a little medal that you yay, and then we put it in the cupboard, and then it's lost forever. And, and what suffering is trying to do is instead of allowing the enemy to shrink us, God wants to stretch us and say, what medal do you really want? Do you really want the one, the trinket that hangs on the wall and then goes in the cupboard? Or do you want that, listen to me carefully, or do you want that reward that you can use as an instrument of worship for all eternity? You see, Jesus says this, if you remain faithful through the suffering, don't give in to the lie that God's against you or not with. No, no, no. God, I know that you are good. Your love endures forever. If you remain faithful, I will give you the victor's crown. Now, I don't know when last you wore a crown. I wore kind of a crown because it was Kate's birthday on Thursday and we had these funny little paper hideous things, but I'm not really sure that's the crown we're talking about here. But as I began to look at this thing called crowns, you realize in the Bible what a beautiful picture it is. It says in, uh, in, Romans, in Revelation rather 4, 10 and 11, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns 
before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. I love this picture. Because now one day in heaven, you can't worship God by going on an outreach to Toti and using up your finances and your leave. You can't worship God that way. You can't worship God by getting here early on a Sunday and being part of a worship team or setup team. You can't worship God by turning your business into a God-glorifying instrument in the community. You can't anymore because now you're in heaven. But you can take the crown, the victor's crown, and as we look at Jesus and are overcome with this incredible sense of wonder... We can say, Lord, you've given this to me, and now I'm giving it back to you. You are worthy, worthy, worthy. It says in 2 Timothy 4 verse 8, Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who've longed for his appearing. James 1 verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. That the Lord has promised to those who love him. 1 Peter 5 verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. It's a crown of life, a crown of righteousness, a crown of glory. In 1 Corinthians 9 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So here's the question. God, if you're sovereign, and God, if you're loving... And God, if you care for us, then why don't you rescue me from my suffering now? And here's the question, here's the answer. Because if God rescues us from suffering, he helps us now. But if God redeems the suffering, he helps us for all eternity. You see, the enemy is going to try and shrink you to just think now. Just think now. What's the best for me? Now. And the challenge is Jesus is trying to stretch his church. Stop thinking just about now. Live your life thinking about all eternity. Amen? Let me land very quickly then. Number four, let suffering stretch your thinking about death and resurrection. In Revelation 2 verse 11, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. What is that second death? In Revelation 20 verse 6, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. In Revelation 21 verse 8, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Yikes. The reality is, I've done many funerals in my life. And... Uh, I mean, doing a funeral is, is a sad thing. But doing a funeral for someone who loves Jesus is like a bittersweet moment. Because in your heart, you, you, you ache and you, and you cry because actually there's a void now in your life. Yet at the same time, there's always part of you that celebrates. Because as Paul said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You see, if you are a believer in Jesus, and you're walking with Christ, then you are resurrected when He returns, however that works, and then you never face that second death. Here's the worst 
worst. You want to know what the worst job of being a pastor is? Doing a funeral for an unbeliever. That's the worst job. Because then you can smile and you can cry and you can pray, but that's the worst job of being a pastor. Friends, what Jesus is saying is, I want you to think differently. The reality is all of us will face death at some point. But you want to face the first death, the first resurrection, because the second death, that's judgment. And here's the thing. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are judged now. Your sins are taken, and they portion with that on the cross. And just like the angel of death that passes over, judgment passes over. It's a beautiful thing to know my sins have already been judged. I'm living post-judgment. Thank you, Jesus. They were nailed to the cross. And I want to ask you today, church, that's what Jesus is saying. Don't let the enemy shrink you. Yes, death is a sad time, but for those in Christ, it's a victorious time as well. But at the same time, church, I don't want any of us ever to have to be part of the second death. That's eternal. In this whole letter, Jesus cries out to the church, and he says, Church, you are going through a difficult time, but, but, suffering can be redeemed to his glory. And that's why I want to encourage you right now, in your mind, in your thinking, Lord, I do not want to let the enemy shrink me through suffering. I don't want to let him shrink my revelation. God, you are bigger. You are good. You are God. You are with me. We will come through this stronger on the other side. I don't want you to let the enemy shrink your thinking about riches. Just because stuff is gone and just because you're going through a financial tough time or whatever it might be, that does not mean you are poor. It means God is helping dig, stretch something inside of you because faith is worth way more than gold and silver. I don't want to let the enemy shrink you in terms of rewards. What are you living for? If you're just living for the here and the now and a bigger bank account and a bigger house, those are not bad things, but that's not what it's all about. Suffering changes our perspective and should stretch us to think eternally. And don't let the enemy shrink your thinking about death and resurrection. Death is not the end. It's not. It's the translation into the eternal. And so right now, Lord, will you come and examine our hearts and our mind? Let's not let suffering shrink us. Let's be stretched in Jesus' name. Amen? Why don't you stand with me, please? If you don't mind closing your eyes for a moment, thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, as guardians of the gospel, our understanding of hard times and trials and suffering is critical because it's in those moments that you're working and working and shaping and molding and revealing. And friends, I want you to take a moment just to pray. You can mumble a prayer, pray quietly in your heart. But ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Holy Spirit, what were you putting your finger on in my heart today? Just begin to pray. Say, Lord, do I need to change my thinking? Do I need to change some actions, some behavior? Come, Holy Spirit. Would you come and minister into every one of our hearts right now? Thank you, Lord. Friends, I, I want to pray for, for some of you right now because... Remember I said your world is, 
is as small as your pain is big. You, you might feel like you're in a prison of suffering or pain. And Father, in Jesus' name, we want to break that lie right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If that's you, I want you to just before the Lord say, Lord, no more shrinking. I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm trusting you. You are good. Help me to begin to stretch. Father, I pray for your grace, especially for those who are going through seasons of intense suffering right now. Your grace, Lord. Let your word get deep into their hearts. Let your word produce fruit in their lives, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Just before I I close, why don't you keep your eyes closed for a moment? Church, death is not the end. The world will tell you, no, no, everything stops. No, no, it doesn't. There's a judgment to come. Wouldn't you rather have your sins judged for now while you're alive because you've given them to Jesus than face judgment yourself one day? So if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, then we would love to pray with you. Just with our eyes closed, is there anyone like that? You'll know it's you because your heart is beating 180 beats a minute. And, and that's the Holy Spirit trying to nudge you and say, today is the day of salvation. Is there anyone like that? Why don't you put up your hand quickly? I'm not going to embarrass you, but it's good to respond to the Lord in some way. Anyone like that? All righty. If there is anyone, please won't you come and, uh, and chat with us. We're going to be on the red carpet. Marilise, come quickly share a word of knowledge that you felt God wanted to heal today. Um, there's someone's left eye that's a bit blurry and watery, and God says he wants to heal you. But then someone else, it feels like there's a heaviness on your chest, like someone is pressing down on your chest, and every now and again you get a sharp pain. So God wants to heal you today. Please come, let, let us pray for you. All righty, that's going to be happening right now on the red carpet. You'll know once again if that's you, because you suddenly your heart's beating, like, could it be, is it, made? Yes. So don't miss this opportunity. God heals, and he wants to do that. If you need prayer for any other kind of healing, or if you know today is the day, you're ready to receive Christ as your Lord and start a discipleship journey with Jesus, won't you come and chat to us here? Father, thank you for your amazing goodness and your grace. Thank you for your incredible love. Thank you that your gracious hand rests upon us in Jesus' name. And God's people say, and God's people say,